You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that app. Today is Patreon Saturday, where I spend a little extra time saying thank you to my patrons, and I answer questions that come from the patrons. If you want to get involved, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If any of the patrons, by the way, have any ideas of what we could do in this Discord, I know, I think, I don't really know much about Discord. It's kind of just there, number one, for the questions. Number two, to just kind of hang out. We can talk or whatever. I don't know. But I've heard other people talk about using Discord for things. It's like, oh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know. I thought it was just a place where you discuss. I I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But it looks like a pretty hefty group. We got uh, almost 50 people in here. So, uh, if you are a patron, make sure you get in there. I think I think the link that I used this time on Patreon is permanent. It should be, so it should not expire. So uh, go to Patreon and uh, find my latest post, and you'll see the link there. Also, on Saturdays, if you happen to be up early, and, you know, today I'm quote-unquote sleeping in. It's uh, 5.45 when I got up, or it's what it is now, so 5.30ish or so I got up. So I'm feeling pretty good, feeling pretty rested. But um, I know for for most of the world, that's considered way too early. But if you happen to be up, I know you can't hear me now, it'll be too late by the time you hear this. But just in general, if you're a patron, you're up early uh, Saturday, Sunday. um, I'm going to send a message like I just did to the patrons and be like, hey, guys, I'm recording. Shoot over questions if you got them. But I want to start off the show with a little appreciation. First of all, thank you very much to Ethan Ballinger, Bollinger, Ballinger. It's shocking, even when it looks kind of straightforward, how many different ways you can come up with, you know, saying a name. Like, it's, it's like, that's pretty straightforward, but I, I can come up with like six ways to say that. Most of them are stupid, but I'm going to say it anyways, because maybe, I don't know. But thank you very, very much for your contribution to the show, paying up for the full year. That is unbelievably, massively helpful to me. Um, I've got, like I said, a lot of plans about really upgrading this show come July 1st. This show slash, and, and I, I say YouTube, but I, I'm very strongly considering not abandoning my YouTube channel, obviously. I, I want to use that and, and get some good content out for that. But the idea is I want to do a lot more streaming and video stuff. That doesn't have to be NFL Draft YouTube related. I'm very strongly considering doing a lot of Facebook group or, or Facebook Packers type content. I don't know yet, but anyways... Um, the patrons are massively helpful in terms of, I mean, first of all, things like PFF, a bunch of other subscriptions that I have to be able to do what I do. The, uh, you know, over the cap spot track, both of them have premium subscriptions. I subscribe to both of those, the athletic, I subscribe to that. 
anything I think that can give me a little bit of an edge, a little bit of uh, an, an insight for this show, I get it. And again, if, if there wasn't for Patreon and things like that, uh, it just, it would not be a thing. There's no way I'd be able to spend that money on, on just a hobby. So um, if you're not a patron, again, just uh, let's just take a minute to appreciate the people who are kind of behind the scenes making this whole thing happen. I mentioned a couple names last time around, and I want to kind of go through, and, and i got to do a better job of, of mentioning who, or, or remembering who I've already talked about. But I want to talk about three people, one of which I think I've already mentioned. But these three people, you know what, I'm going to do four, because there's one other guy that's like the exact same amount. And I'm not going to say how much, because that's kind of tacky, but um, lifetime donations on Patreon. Special thank you to Mike Lazuski, who is number one on that list. Now, I mentioned him before because he's been here the longest, so those two things kind of correlate, right? Jim Thompson, Kyle Bernston, and Michael Shannon. It's kind of like Mike and Jim are that top tier. Those two guys have have given the most as far as lifetime, and then Kyle Bernston and uh, Michael Shannon. Now, there are people who have given massive amounts outside of Patreon, and I don't know how to, to ask it without being weird, but if you have given, if you could maybe, if it doesn't seem weird to you, reach out just as a reminder. Just be like, hey, man, remember that time I gave you like a bunch, like for, you know, Christmas or whatever? I know it's a little weird, but again, I want to take a little bit of time to just appreciate all the people that have that have helped support the show. Also, Kyle was um, massively helpful in getting me t-shirts. And some of you might have actually bought the original OG Packernet t-shirts from from. Uh, from Kyle's wife, who who makes t-shirts and whatnot. I did end up moving over to Teespring, just because some of the designs were getting a little crazy and inter- intricate and whatnot. But I'll be honest, um, the shirt I got from Kyle's wife was was way better. And, um, hey, Kyle, uh, we should talk about this these new, th- th- this whole relaunch thing, because I kind of want to get some shirts, and I want them to be awesome shirts. So, I mean, I'm just saying. I'm just saying, if you're still out there somewhere, maybe, maybe we should talk about it. But all right, let's get started with um, questions and whatnot. So the first thing actually isn't a question, but it's the most recent. And um, since I spent time uh, bragging on them a little bit, I'm uh, going to go ahead and brag on myself. Thanks to BRM finding a pretty good catch. I wasn't actually going to do it, but I think I might try to real quick throw something together just to see what it comes up with, or at least see what else I got right or wrong with this. But And I can't see the exact episode, but it looks like, um, I don't know if it's iTunes or what, it has to be iTunes because of the garbage logo that it's still using but it says episode 380 which i'm sure is not actually episode 380 but according to itunes it's episode 380 but if you want to go back and find it as a reference there you go but he says looking back at to this time two years ago april 6 2019 you discussed a metric that you came up with pre-draft that essentially had kyler murray as the top quarterback gardner Minshew as qb2 and you had Dwayne haskins as a middle of the pack quarterback needless to say two years post-draft kyler seems to be the top quarterback Minshew, who went in the sixth round, appears to be a steal, while Haskins, who was taken in the first round, has already been dumped and an obvious draft bust. Do you still have this metric, or was it a total fluke that it was dead on, oh, that it was dead on two years ago pre-draft? Probably a massive fluke, and and that's why I want to go back and look, because I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of other misses. I mean, not just in quarterback, but running back, wide receiver, da-da-da-da-da. But if you compare what I did to just what everybody else said. For example, everybody else missed on Haskins except me. <laughs> I can guarantee you that. But um, really what I did is, or what at least what I tried to do was incorporate a bunch of different things that I thought were, were kind of cool. So 
I had, for example, PFF grades. I had production, which is statistics. And then I also wanted to incorporate um, the school that you went to, which is strength of schedule. And then I just kind of made that an inverse number. And I actually did find online a strength of schedule ranking for each team. So it's not even so much the school you went to, but how tough were the opponents you went up against. And then I gave grades to each one in terms of how important each one of these things are. So weights, right? I weighted each individual one. And the the other cool thing about doing that is if you weight it so that it comes out to a perfect 100, then you can not only weight it by position, but then you can do a general big board. So I will try to go back, Mr. BRM, and find that for you. And I will tell you what I came up with for the 2019 draft. And again, I'm pretty sure, and I, I probably talked about it in the podcast a little bit. I'm sure you heard some misses and just omitted it. And I appreciate that. But um, yeah, I, I will try to go back, find that, and go through that if for no other reason than some comedic value. But it was fun for me to do. And I may want to do it again, but um, but we'll see. It's a, it's a pretty good amount of work. At least I have a template this time. Because I was just kind of winging it at the time. And that's the other thing. You can you can adjust the weights, you know, and, and I, I'll be honest. There were a couple times I tweaked it to try to get certain people up because it's like there's no way that guy's going to be bad. Like everybody's saying he's so like this. Obviously, I'm weighting this wrong. So I, I tweaked it to try to get certain things a certain way. And you shouldn't do that. So I, I may have messed that up, whatever. I don't know. What I could do is go back and look now that I have a better idea of who's better, adjust the weights you know, post-draft, and then use those weights and measures on this draft and see how that goes. Eballs asks, sorry for the non-draft-related question. I'm sensing some snark with, with that. Do you expect regression from Aaron Rodgers and the offense in 2021, or is it possible they actually get better and are able to do more in year three of Lafleur's system with the team mostly still intact? What is the history of how other teams' quarterbacks, teams slash quarterbacks, have done in year three of the Shanahan system? You know, I could I could go back and look at year one, two, three, four, five, and I've done that. Um, I think the point is now they're they're kind of settled in, and and it's more, it's probably less to do with going because remember Kyle Shanahan was, we praise him as the greatest, most brilliant genius in the whole world, but in reality, I think Matt Lafleur has had already had a better career than than Shanahan has. Shanahan was terrible for what two or three years, and then he had one good year, and then he was bad again. Matt Lafleur is two and zero oh for great years, so you know. I'm kind of over the Shanahan worship, if I'm being honest. And I, I don't even understand it, to be completely honest. I mean, listen, he's smart. It's a good scheme. I get all that. And he, struck, you know, he doesn't have a quarterback. And I'm sure it'll be great if he gets some better pieces, although he's had an elite defense. And he's also massively benefited from having, like, number one overall picks for a bunch of years because his team was trash for so long. But I think the, the big question is, what is the comfort level of the offense and, and how much further do they have to go yet? Now, the biggest issue, because th- there's two competing things, I think there's plenty of room to grow. I think we're still looking for, for a bunch of pieces. Number one, the Josiah DeGuara. Now, we have him, but he was injured all year. Number two is the Tavon Austin-y role. That's another piece they're trying to fit that um, we haven't really found, like a, just a top-tier guy that we could get in this draft class. Number three is a real dangerous number two wide receiver. That could absolutely open things up. Number four, the growth of A.J. Dillon um, slash, or if we want to call it number five, being able to grow the offense with two running back sets. And then the the combinations therein, right? Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. What about Aaron Jones and our motion-y guy? What about A.J. Dillon and Josiah DeGuara? And just 
the different things that you can do now that we have these different pieces and the different combinations and the different looks and all those things, I think the scheme itself and the look of the offense can massively improve still. We kind of just have the foundational pieces. We have the offensive line, which did kind of go back, but it's roughly the same group, and they're starting to get in the groove and understand what Matt LaFleur is asking, and I still think they can grow, and and also we can improve. Remember, we didn't have a great offensive line situation last year. We lost Brian Balaga and didn't really find a great replacement um, as far as having just a stout off. I mean, the, the right guard, right tackle spot is just kind of eh. And there was continued growth. Mentioned several times how Billy Turner seems to be kind of getting it a little bit more. Still not great, but starting to get it. So the offensive line is is good. I, I think as far as like, is there room to grow? Not for like Bakhtiari, maybe Elton Jenkins. Um, maybe Billy Turner still has some room to grow and we can still add a ton more pieces to go from. So, so let's say if we were on like a 10 point scale last year, we were at like a seven because we're missing a couple pieces. Right now we're at, you know, 5.5. We took a little bit of a step back, and if you count David Bakhtiari being out, we're at like a 4.9. It's a little unkind, but whatever. It's just I'm, I'm just painting a picture. We have the ability, if we add really good pieces, and let's just say get a full year under their belt, so that doesn't include this year, but I mean, if we really get this up to full strength and really engage a full understanding of this offensive system, this offensive line, and what, what uh, LaFleur is asking, I mean, 10. 10. 10 is the, the best possible outcome. So there is room to grow still. The biggest issue with growth is the first part of your question, which is, do you expect regression from Aaron Rodgers? And the answer is yes. And and it's very similar. And I know some people aren't going to want to hear that, but it's, it's, it's not because I don't like or trust Aaron Rodgers. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the fact that this was a historic season. So, same thing I said about Zadarius. I'm not saying he's trash. What I said about Sidarius is if he even does this back-to-back years, it is something that almost nobody has ever done. Khalil Mack's never done it. Name any pass rusher today, they haven't done it. you got to go back to like Michael Strahan or something just stupid to find a guy that's been able to do what Sidarius Smith did two years in a row. Aaron Donald, I guess, would be the one. I'm thinking, you know, exterior rush guys. Yes, Aaron Donald does it every year. Probably J.J. Watt in his heyday has done it. Maybe. I don't know. Has he had two years of domination without any injuries or anything? But the point is, that's what I said, uh, you know, is Zadarius suddenly out of nowhere this generational player? I don't, I would guess not. And he wasn't. He he kind of, he had a good year, but he, he regressed. That was the question and that is the answer. And so when we talk about Aaron Rodgers having the best year of his entire career, the odds of him going back to back are, are almost zero. That doesn't mean bad. It does not mean bad. It can be very good. And, and the full play of the offense can still improve while Aaron Rodgers pulls back, but it's a very fragile thing because the most important piece is Aaron Rodgers. So if Aaron Rodgers pulls back too much, the offense I don't think can improve over what it was last year, which was the number one offense in football. But but I also think that there's there's some nuance here. For example, you know, there, there's just a, a domination aspect. There's also a consistency aspect. And I think they can probably do better in both of those categories. You know, forget the the yards you know, total yards or total points or whatever. I mean, there are teams who can put up 50 one week and 20 the next week. And then there are teams that just put up a consistent 32 every week with an occasional 50. That's kind of like the Chiefs MO. I wouldn't mind getting to that level where there's just a consistent domination. You're just such a good team that you're going to get 30. It's just a matter of if they have no way of shutting you down, then it, then we're racing to 50. So that, that I think would be kind of the next step. It's not about 
necessarily the guys we have getting better because it's going to be nearly impossible. Again, number one quarterback, number one wide receiver, number one tackle. We lost our number one center, but those guys aren't going to get better, right? You know, granted, I've been saying that about Devontae every year for three years, and he just keeps getting better. Maybe that maybe there's a little bit left in there, but I think at, we're kind of to the point where it starts going back downhill or at least levels off. And so at this point, I think it's about adding those extra pieces so that no matter what, it's just there's so many ways that we can go, you just can't stop it. And we got we got individual guys you can't stop or individual guys you can't beat. But it's it's basically just Aaron Rodgers to Devontae with Aaron Jones sprinkled in. But even Aaron Jones was inconsistent. I mean, he he would take over games and then, you know, sometimes it's not so much him. Sometimes it was actually Jamal was the better back. Sometimes it was A.J. Dillon that was a better back and they give him four carries and then pull him. But if you get Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon and Josiah DeGuara and, you know, Jace takes a step and you got uh, Tunyon and you've got, you know, the 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 motiony wide receiver. You know, we pick up 2-2 Atwell later in the draft and he's just a gadgety guy. And you pick up a legit number two wide receiver, say, in the first or second round. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm not saying we should do that because obviously we're neglecting defense. And I'm, that's not, I'm not putting this out there as a plan. I'm just saying if you picture that, you get into there's nothing you can do to stop us territory. Outside of Aaron Rodgers going down, I'm not even going to say the word, but you know what I'm, what I'm going for. Outside of that, there's really no stopping it. Because worst case scenario, everybody gets hurt except Devontae and we go back to just backyard ball. I'm just going to keep throwing it to him and you can't stop it anyways. And it's also somewhat of protection against because everybody has bad days. Every player ever is going to have days where they struggle. But the more incredibly talented guys you have, the more likely it is that we just turn the ball over to, to what's working. You know, the one game A.J. Dillon played in, he took that whole game over. So guess what? Fine. We're just going to ride him. Ride him to victory. And we did. And we won. There, you know, we've seen it. I remember how we started last year. I forget exactly the order, but it was like Devontae won us week one. Aaron Jones won us week two. Lazard won us week three. I mean, it was just there were and, and then all the other guys kind of just disappeared. But we still had that one guy that took it over. And the more guys you have that are just dominant, you know, you, you can kind of you get the point. So that's my thought in terms of do, do I expect the offense to regress or go backwards? I'm optimistic it goes forward. Fully acknowledging that Aaron Rodgers is is going to take a half a step back, but he's still Aaron Rodgers. The question isn't, can you dominate to a world that we've almost never seen two years in a row? That's It's kind of an unnecessary question or, or an unnecessary bar to set. The question really is, if we add some more pieces and really open this thing up and really take it to the next level, can you just execute? The answer to that is yes. <laughs> Fantastic question from Hoy. Poloi, Hoy Poloi, whatever. Don't really need to say the numbers. Seems like character and cultural fit are important considerations for the Packers roster. Pack Daddy, I wonder if there's a way to quantify that for draft prospects. Do certain colleges have more emphasis on being a good citizen? BYU. Perhaps why we don't draft from Ohio State. <laughs> oh, I, I just find that funny because some of the Ohio State fans on Twitter are, uh, they're kind of putting me on notice with my Ohio State slander, which I don't think has been hardly even existent. But um, nonetheless, they're they're still not happy with me. But uh, I still, I, it's, it's funny. Do they even have it? They must, I don't know if they have a track record or if that's just, he's just jumping in the fray with me on that. The only one I can think of is like Florida. I feel like Florida schools are all jacked up. No, I, I you know, I, th- I think, um, I think there are schools. I mentioned Brigham Young just because they have, they have strict rules. But strict rules doesn't always mean great character. You know, Jamal Williams was a BYU guy and was seen as kind of a, a real high character guy, 
So you can start there with expectations, or you may start somewhere with a, a program that's maybe a little bit more lax and has a, a bad history, you know, of, of, of um, character concerns. And so you might go in with a heightened alert. But at the end of the day, it really just comes down to you, you try to give a guy a clean slate. You come into it kind of with some pre, pre-knowledge based on what we've heard, what we have observed. Obviously, we've combed through your entire social media history. We've gone through your family history. And then it just comes down to meeting with people. And that's what, why those meetings are so important. We want to get to know your character. And yes, the Packers are very much high character people. It's why they love getting guys like Jamal and Aaron. I mean, it's not a coincidence that you look at the guys that we have and they're just, it's almost weird because you look around the NFL and there's, it's almost like a, yeah, I've been watching sick. You can always tell what I've been doing based on the analogies I give. It's, it's like, they, she's, it's, a, it's an office thing. She could always tell what TV show he was watching by how he greeted her or whatever. I don't know. But some of these places like the Raiders, it's like 60 days in, man. I mean, they're going out and getting convicts, you know. What Didn't they, like, at one time bring in, what are they, I'm going to blank on all their names now. But they brought in a bunch of guys. And obviously Antonio Brown is number one. The baby-faced, 40-year-old psychopath offensive lineman, they brought him in. And then the other psychopath um, getting in all kinds of legal trouble and just destroying everybody on the field, linebacker. Like, all in the same year. Like, just give me every head case in the world and bring them over here. And then we just got to figure out how to, like, manage it, you know? I think the the Rams were doing that too. The Rams absolutely did that. I think the one year that they were very, very good, they brought in a bunch of guys that were real high risk. Uh, I think they brought in Indomitian Sue, um, some cornerbacks and stuff that are just, you know, they're, they're volatile. But he managed it. You know, he made it work. But you look at the Packers and it's like the guys that they have, I mean, like I said, the offensive linemen, they're like playing board games and stuff, you know, Dungeons and Dragons type nerdy stuff. Aaron Jones is just as high character of a guy as you can find. Jamal right with him, super unbelievably high character. It just, it means a lot. And it does have a, a, a good impact. Again, we've seen what happens when the, when the locker room starts to go sideways. Right? The final year of, of Mike McCarthy's tenure, it was getting real ugly. Guys just were not getting along. Now, that wasn't because of kind of low character. I think there was just a, lo- a lack of structure and things just kind of devolved. People just stopped caring and they were allowed to just stop caring. As far as is there something, somebody out there somewhere probably has, you know, a lot of these guys that are grinding on Twitter. Um, they've got, everybody's got a database these days. Some of them, I'm sure, have put a character column in there, and I certainly would. They've got an injury column and a character column. Um, trying to think of any databases that I have that I could look at. But, I mean, if, if you just look around, for example, I found an article on NBC Sports, NFL draft prospects with character flaws. I mean, there, there's stuff out there. Now, this is from a very long time ago. For example, number four on this list is the one guy, and I'm glad I found this article because I can never remember this guy's name, but the the one time the Packers took a flyer on a character risk, it was Colt Lyerla, tight end out of Oregon. Colt Lyerla was a really talented tight end prospect. He was expected to probably be, I don't know, like a third-round pick or something. He ended up going undrafted because of some issues that he had. Packers actually took a flyer on him as, as an undrafted free agent. He decided to go there probably to, you know, it's a good fit if you got some character issues trying to keep you straight or whatever. He ended up, I think, in like the preseason trying to hurdle a guy, which messed up his knee. And the Packers were mad about it. Like, stop trying to hurdle people, you dummy. So he ends up being out. While he's out, I think he gets like a DUI or something. And the Packers are like, all right, we're done. We tried. Nope, never doing that again. So any hope you have of the Packers taking a risk on a character concern um, you can thank Colt Lyerla for the fact that the Packers will say no to that because they tried once. They took a very low risk shot. The guy ended up 
I, I shouldn't just say you got a DUI because I don't remember. But um, coming into the league, for example, in March 2013, he tweeted, quote, insensitive and offensive statements about Sandy Hook, which, I mean, I'm surprised the Packers even touched that. That's crazy. He was suspended again for violating team rules. On October 6th, he quit the Oregon football team. 17 days later, he was arrested and pled guilty for cocaine possession. That's before the Packers picked him up. Oh, it was on family night that he messed up his knee. And it was a DUI. September 6th, 2014, 2.52 a.m. DUI. Impairment not related to alcohol. Two years later, the guy got busted for heroin. Pled guilty to first and second degree forgery. Six months in prison. Lyola escaped custody May 5th, 2017. And then in 2019, 27 months, Oregon State Penitentiary guilty to coercion, fourth degree assault, unlawful possession of heroin, and strangulation. Jeez, Colt. Man, his life is just, he is just out of control. That sucks, man. I feel bad. <laughs> I mean, I guess I shouldn't because it's getting into, you know, attacking people territory. So I, I don't know. I just, it's, that's, that's terrible. I mean, you, you got to sympathize to some degree when you got guys like this, and this happens all the time, guys that have unbelievable potential and just throw it away. I mean, whether it's to drugs or whether it's like the guy out of who knows what, although I feel less for guys that just can't keep their mouth shut long enough or show up to practice. Substance abuse is one thing, but just, you know, acting like I'm going to do whatever I want and then being out of the league, that's a whole other deal. But what I would do if you really wanted to is to comb through Twitter, um, find guys like... um, Guys like Mark Jarvis, if he doesn't have a database, he might know somebody that does. Uh, who's the other guy? I think he's from Wisconsin. A little bit rougher on the edges, but he, he does a good job. But a lot of these guys, they just they just make these databases, and they, they either have them for themselves or they make them public or whatever. But there's all kinds of stuff on there, and I'm sure somebody has one somewhere where there's a column for character concerns, and they will list what it is. So if you want to know, again, I would just ask, you know, encourage you to go dig around and find these guys. The, the, the draft grinders on Twitter. Somebody has one. So a question from Dustin. Um, this one's going to be really, really tough. And um, I think it would be a good idea if you wanted to, to reach out to Coach Hahn for some better clarification on this. I've been looking at the star position for several years. And it's one of those things where I have to keep reminding myself because I keep forgetting. And, and really, it it's different. Different teams. And it's, it's all over college. Because I remember back before PFF kind of did this job for me, when I was making my own big boards, some people would say positions, I didn't know what that meant, right? They would say outside linebacker. Well, is that an edge rusher or is that an off the ball linebacker? So I'd go to our lads and I'd look at these college things and the the different names that they would have on there just blew me away. Like, I don't know what any of this stuff, that doesn't answer my question. I still don't know because they got stuff like star, they've got all different kinds of positions. And even that, sometimes it was, you know, they, they'd change things up. So I didn't know. But a lot of different teams will say star. And depending on which team you're talking about, they it's it means something slightly different. I think generally we're talking about a athletic linebacker that is a hybrid linebacker. I saw one team had said that they were planning on getting a safety slash outside linebacker. Some teams, I think like Alabama, and this is kind of an older article I've been reading the last couple minutes here. But it's, it's a guy that just plays linebacker, but he's just a super athletic guy that gets subbed in instead of a Sam linebacker. So Sam being strong side and is a guy that is generally a massive liability as far as coverage. What they would do in passing situations is put the star out there in his place. So pull the, the best running, you know, strong side, you know, power linebacker, pull him off the field because he's useless on a passing down. 
and bring in this guy that's real good at coverage slash blitzing. So he's going to be your linebacker. He may jump out and cover the slot guy. He may come after the quarterback. Um, let me just read this little bit because there's so many things. I mean, all these different articles, and again, they're all saying different things. But this seems to be a decent little summary. And this is, uh, well, let me just start reading it. It'll tell you all that. In Smart's defense at Georgia, like the one he helped build at Alabama, the star position is used to sub for the Sam linebacker. The reason is that a Sam linebacker is likely a liability in pass coverage against a slot receiver. Instead of playing a true nickel defense, however, and re- and replacing that linebacker with a nickel defensive back who might be a weak link against the run, the star position is utilized. And again, that's, you know, we'd rather have an athletic linebacker than a strong a strong safety. I don't mean the position strong safety. I mean like a a linebacker that's good in coverage as opposed to a safety that's good against the run. Because we still want you to be not a liability if you're going to stand in there and try to stop the run. Now, you're, you're probably not going to be as good as the Sam linebacker, obviously, but we're still leaning in that direction. We want a linebacker in that spot. We just want somebody that's that's you know faster and better in coverage and all that kind of stuff. And then it goes on to say, like I said, the star should have the quickness to cover the slot, sound tackling ability, and can rush the passer when needed. If we go on, though, it says some coordinators look for different skill sets when filling this role. Grantham preferred hybrid linebacker safety types like Alec Ogletree and Josh Harvey Clemens, whereas Smart is more apt to take a player with a truer defensive with truer defensive back qualities. But I mean, even just, just to give you an idea, if you look at Alabama on our lads, this is how they have it broken down. And just so you know, this is 12 positions. So obviously that this is not their base defense because you can't have 12 guys, but there are 12 different positions that they rotate in and out. Defensive end, nose guard, defensive end, Jack, Will, Mike, Sam, corner, free safety, strong safety, corner, and star. So for our purposes, I'm going to be looking at linebackers that primary, their, primarily their skill set is coverage. Secondarily, their skill set is pass rush. Obviously, tackling and whatnot is still, you, you don't want it to be a liability, but you're probably not going to find a lot of guys that can do every single thing. So first of all, the, the, the guy that fits this role more than anybody, and again, he, he played at a small school and there's all these different things to take into consideration, but I'm just looking at PFF grades. It's Zayvon Collins. He had the highest pass rush grade of any linebacker, at least as far as, let me get rid of this year thing. Nope, he's still number one because I just had guys drafted in 2021 and 2022. Um, 93 overall coverage grade is the highest of anybody in college. He also had a 90.6 coverage grade. His run defense was a 65 and his tackling was a 68. So obviously that is not his strong suit, but for a star position, he fits it. Now, full disclosure, I talked, or I think Coach Haunted made a comment about it saying he not a super big fan for for that position, doesn't think he quite has it, but what he did in Tulsa, and again, just based on the grades, he fits. If you're looking at JOK, Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, he's probably going to be gone, but there's a slight chance he's there. It looks like he kind of fits that mold as well. It's not as, like, glaring. You know, with Zavin, it's like elite in the two important categories, kind of in the others. But, uh, you know, his highest grade, 82.3, was coverage. He's got a 72 in pass rush and a 75 in run defense. Now, it's not a negative to also be good as a run defender. It's obviously a positive. The question is, can he do the two most important things well? Well, in coverage, 21 of 34 caught for 214 yards. Gave up one touchdown, had a pick, and three pass breakups, 77.3 pass rating when targeted. Seems to be the case. Uh, But again, probably not available. I don't know. But it is nice to know that the two potential linebackers that could be there, because these guys could get pushed down, they're not as important positions, 
And as crazy as it sounds, I mean, you look at some of the other really important things and, and team needs and whatnot. You got a bunch of teams like the Bears and whatnot that need tackles, and there's a bunch of tackles. You got teams that need wide receivers, there's a bunch of wide receivers. Uh, the next best linebacker, Nick Bolton, does not really fit that mold. Um, the one thing he kind of gets dinged on is coverage. Now, in 2019, and this is the thing I'm going to refer back to if we do draft Nick Bolton, because obviously I'm going to cast this in a positive light. But in 2019, he had a 90.4 coverage grade. The, the problem is 2018 and 2020, it was a 55 grade and a 60 grade. So, you know, could be a whole Jordan Love thing where they're looking at 2019 tape saying, this guy can do it, and I'm excited about it, and he's 21, and um, he just absolutely killed it. Uh, Mr. Jamin Davis uh, out of Kentucky becoming wildly popular. Um, I would say more of a run defender. So 87 run defense, 84 tackling, 69 pass rush, 72 coverage. But again, the question is, can he do it? Because run defense is not a negative. It doesn't have to be lower. If you can do what I need you to do, but you just happen to be really good against the run, fine. Now that's going to be mostly a tape thing. They're going to be watching the tape on this guy, 6'4", 234, and say, this guy can cover some ground. If we get him doing X, Y, and Z, he's going to be fine. The biggest issue I have, if you look at 2019, he graded out very, very poorly. And if you look at 2020, again, he had a 72 coverage grade, but his grades were 57, 48, 59, 93, 62, 64, 57, 58, 60, and 70. That's to say he had two games where he was good, one of them was elite, and a bunch of other games that were average to bad, meaning most of the time he was bad at it, he just happened to have one elite game that kind of pulled the average up. So I, I, I again, having not watched the film, because this year I've just completely and totally removed myself from that, that element of it, so I can't even give my unprofessional opinion on it, I don't know. Based on what PFF is saying, he does not fit the role. But there is a guy that I've told you a hundred times that I'm super excited about, I'm a big fan of, and I don't know why he's going so late, and it looks like l- latter part of the second round, and that's Jabril Cox. And I, I, before I even look him up, I already know this guy's a fit. I mean, he's, he's kind of like Zavin without as good of grades, but also, let's remember, LSU. So I've talked about him before, three years at NDSU. This year he transfers to LSU, and so it's like, okay, can you still do it? His coverage grades... 2018 and 2019 at NDSU, 87-85, goes to LSU, 83. So he proved, even after going to LSU, I can still get it done. His pass rush grade was a 76. He had 10 pressures, zero sacks, but five hits and five hurries on 36 attempts. So one in three times when he went for the quarterback, he got him. Now, that's not as freaky as it sounds because linebackers are have a much higher hit rate when they blitz than um, you know edge rushers and defensive tackles and things. But um, the year prior at NDSU, 16 out of 45 attempts and five sacks. The year before that, 19 out of 65, four sacks. So he does it a lot, and he's pretty good at it. Um, And again, in coverage, he's fantastic. The the biggest issue is he's kind of a liability against the run, and that's kind of what comes with the territory and maybe is why he's going to fall down the boards a little bit. But even that surprises me because the linebackers that everybody loves in in the pros are those guys. They run fast. They cover a lot of sideline to sideline ground. They can drop in coverage. There are complete liabilities against the run. They get blocked out of this universe. But if that's what they want, if they just want a star guy that's going to get subbed in in, in just primarily passing situations or is just going to stay on the field when we got two linebackers and you got one guy that's like a straight-up linebacker, Kamal Martin, and you got one guy that's just a pure cover guy, cover ground guy, 6'4", 231, great in coverage, played at a big program, Jabril Cox is the guy. I mean, it doesn't have to be. You can go Zavin or whatever, but I'm just saying, if this guy, this, he might be available in the, in the late, I'd be surprised, but he might be available in the late second. Also, as a side note, if Jabril Cox goes in the first round of the Packers, which I still doubt, I'm the only one that's probably not mad about that. And a couple loyal listeners that, you know, believe what I'm telling you. 
Um, starts to thin out quite a bit. You could maybe make a case for Monty Rice out of Georgia, currently sitting at about 143 overall on the on the the big board. Um, 70 coverage grade, which is a, an improvement. It was a jump. He was kind of in the 60s for three years at Georgia, took a jump in the 70s. Very, very good pass rusher. He's got the last two years a 90 and an 86 overall PFF grade in pass rush. So he's got that in spades. And he's also a, a very good tackler and very good against run defense. So if you were to ask, he gets graded better in, in the run defense. But again, the question is, can you do the things I want? And again, he's, he fits the mold, 6'1", 235, that you know, even like 10 years ago would have been, he's way too small. But that's just kind of the way it's going. All these linebackers I'm looking at are, are in the 230s, two, I mean, some of them even 220s. You know, the days of like 255, 260-pound linebackers are just going right out the window. You just don't really see it anymore. But uh, again, that's sort of a late-round option. Monty Rice might be able to do it. Again, bigger programs, so you kind of feel somewhat confident that he can do it at a high level. You know, his highest coverage grade came against Tennessee. That's not a small school. Uh, Missouri, um, fourth highest was Alabama. So, you know, it was a 66 overall grade, but still. In coverage nine times, only had one target for one reception. It was 38 yards, which isn't great, but, you know, whatever. Still only one out of nine. Not like he was getting picked on. Um, sitting at 174 overall, Justin Hilliard out of Ohio State would be a good fit. 6'1", 231. Um, he is, again, solid against the run. He's not bad at it. But the last two years, he's been five years at Ohio State. Two years in a row, his coverage grades have been 80 and 81, which is solid. His pass rush took a bit of a spike to a 72 overall. He didn't do it, well... He did it 10 times and got there twice, which isn't all that great, but he graded out fine. But um, again, it's that coverage that's pretty impressive, 6'1", 231. Um, in terms of his statistics, 15 of 17 were caught for 124 yards, zero touchdowns, had a pick, and no pass breakups. Um, it is a little bit skewed, again, because he had one really elite game. That was against Rutgers, probably the game he had a pick, if I had to guess, without even looking. Um, no, that's not it. But anyways... Um, 94. His next highest grade was a 69. So take it for what it is. But again, he did it in 2019 as well. So again, it's a late round option. So you're not getting the top of the top, but he does kind of fit the mold a little bit. So I think that's about it. I've gone through every single linebacker through 400 prospects. I'm not going from 400 through 534 because I have not seen anybody since, uh, you know, we were in the 100. So I think we're just kind of getting into complete project territory. I mean, none of them are good in coverage. I'm guessing if I keep going, I'll eventually come across one that can do it. But I think it's mostly, you know, you're starting to get your bigger linebackers, your guys that can, you know, maybe they can tackle, but they're just bad at everything else. So, or they're just kind of average across the board. But um, I'm sure there's a couple guys in here that if you're watching their tape or whatever, you can see a little something. But um, those are the, the guys that I listed are the ones that at least as far as PFF is concerned, have that ability and kind of fit that mold. But anyways, why don't we take a break here and uh, we'll come back and get to some more Patreon questions. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view 
on all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Got a question from Mr. Zach Spies. How often does a team repeat as the number one offense? Any chance teams start, quote-unquote, figuring out what we're doing? Uh, a couple things. So the first thing I did is I went through the last 10 years, technically 11 years, from 2010 to 2020. Here are, in order, from 2010 to 2020, the number one offenses. New England, Green Bay, New England, Denver, Green Bay, Carolina, Atlanta, New England, Kansas City, Baltimore, and Green Bay. So there have been some repeating there. We've got three New Englands and three Green Bays, but nobody has gone back-to-back. In 11 seasons, we have not seen a team go back-to-back even once. Now, a couple things. Number one, the quote-unquote number one offense is relative. For example, New England was the number one offense in 2017. In the last 11 years, if you just look at these seasons, that would rank 32nd with uh, 458 points. For reference, number one was Denver in 2013, got 606. So it wasn't that great of an offense. It was just a year in which there weren't a lot of good offenses. So that's the first thing. Secondly, just because you didn't repeat doesn't mean you were bad. Maybe you got the second best offense. For example, um, Kansas City was the number one offense in 2018. They have not been the number one offense since. It would be silly to say that they have not been a good offense since. They have been elite dominant since that point. They just haven't necessarily been number one. They got overtaken by Baltimore in 2019, overtaken by Green Bay in 2020, but they were right there in contention for number one offense through the entirety of both of those seasons. So it kind of ties into what we had just talked about. As far as the second part of your question uh, with teams figuring us out, I'm really not worried about that. I think there is an element of figuring things out, but I tend to think it happens a little sooner. I remember when um, Chicago kind of came out of the gate. They came out firing out of the gate, and they were doing some crazy stuff, and it was like, man, this is is looking pretty top tier. But I think it was very scheme-heavy with a team that does not have a lot of talent, and so when they were able to figure out how to take those things away, there was not a lot of other places to go from there because they have a lot of limitations as far as what they can do. Maybe the coach has limitations in what he can do and the players and all that stuff. So that's sort of the problem. Teams have the Packers figured out for the most part. They have them figured. They know what the Packers do. You can have a coach sit down and explain to you the offense, explain to you what they're doing, why they're doing it, what the concepts are. I mean, they the Packers hired Matt LaFleur because they like what Matt LaFleur does. They already knew they had Matt LaFleur figured out before they hired him. Now, that's not to say every single solitary nuance, but I think we kind of overemphasize the figuring out thing. Everybody knows what we're doing. The question is, can you stop it? People know what the Chiefs do. You've got people on television that are commentators that, whether they were ex-football players or not, they have a general understanding of what it is the Chiefs do well. The New England Patriots, you look at their Earhart Perkins offense, there's a very similar correlation between um, knowing what it is and can you stop it? And knowing what it is and implementing it somewhere else, if you want to think of it in those terms. Everybody that worked for Bill Belichick understand what, understood what they were doing. They, I mean, Bill Belichick gave them the game plan. He gave them literally the playbook. Showed them how to practice, how to prepare. Every single step of how to make a team successful using this exact offensive and defensive system was right there for them. What players to get for your schemes. 
what to do in free agency, what to do in the draft. It was all right there for them, but all these teams, they go out, they leave, and they just are not successful. It almost seemed like the Texans were going to be the one example of a guy that can go take that system and make it successful, and now that's a laughable concept. It's a similar thing when when you're not in there and you're on the other side and you have to stop it. And on top of that, it's not just scheme-related. It's Aaron Rodgers, it's Devontae Adams, it's everything else. You can tell your players this is what they're going to do and this is what you need to do to stop it, but you got to execute. And at the end of the day, you don't know what play's coming and you don't know exactly what play to call. And, you know, you call the wrong play, you're going to get hurt. And across the board, at the end of the day, it comes down to man versus man. And that's why, you know, scheme is important and putting your guys in the right position to succeed. But you also have to have the right guys and the Packers do have the right guys. Now, you can't get too one-dimensional because that's when figuring you out becomes a problem. That's when the Packers, quote-unquote, got figured out after all those years when they started playing, you know, tight press man coverage type stuff, really breaking up these receivers' routes. They couldn't get these quick releases, couldn't get the quick passes. Aaron Rodgers has to sit in the pocket, and all of a sudden he's scrambling, and it's just it's just not working. It's starting to hurt. And the problem is somebody figured out what to do, and they didn't have another gear. They didn't have another place to go with that. And they were terrible at running the ball at that time. The Packers historically have been just... I shouldn't say historically, but in the last 10, 15, 20 years, even their dominant offenses never really featured running the ball very much. Had little spurts with Eddie Lacy, like a half a spurt with James Starks. You know, Ryan Grant was was good, but it was still, it was always just a very heavy, lethal passing offense. Today, we're much more balanced from wide receiver to tight end to running back to fullback to, you know, tight end hybrid fullback slash H-back, whatever kind of weird concepts. You know, we got wide receivers that are big. We got wide receivers that are fast. We got wide receivers that can block. We got tight ends that can receive, catch, block, pass, throw, run, tuck, backflip, whatever. And it just adds these layers of complexity that it's just, it's so maneuverable. It's so very hard to, I mean, it's like, it's like a liquid, you know? It's, it's, it's the old Bruce Lee, uh, well, I might as well play it. Packers offense is like water. Now you put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put it in a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friend. So again, it's not as though it's impossible, but I think the biggest defense against getting quote-unquote figured out is being multidimensional, being able to flow like water, to go with the flow, because some teams are better at stopping the run, some teams are better at stopping the pass, some guys are man, some guys are zone, some guys are this or that or the other thing, and you got to be able to uh, adapt and maneuver to fit the shape, similar to like he said, you know, it becomes the teapot, it becomes this, you have to become the team that's the last thing this certain scheme wants to see as a team that does this well. If you can do that well, you can beat that team too. you got to be able to shape shift. And we've seen that with the Packers, you know, again, from, from week to week, it's just a different team. You win with Devontae, then you win doing this, and then you win with the short, quick passes. You win with the deep passes. You, you find the weaknesses and you expose it. It's classic Bill Belichick, but again, it comes down to being able to execute. And that's where you make arguments for things like offensive linemen. You make arguments for things like a, a top-tier wide receiver or uh, a versatile wide receiver like Rondale Moore that can do all these things from the slot or a guy that can attack down the field with speed. Or whatever it may be, that's kind of down to what Matt Lafleur seems to be looking for. But that's what where you get a strong case for things like that. Because as much as you say, well, how much do you really need that? You might not. But there's going to be that one day you're going to need it, and you're going to be glad you do. And it just makes you completely unstoppable. And that one team that says, you know, I think I can stop them. I think I can shut it down. You add that last piece, I got nothing. I, never mind. I'm I, I lied. I can't stop them. 
Final question. I don't even know if it was geared toward me, but the, we're kind of going back and forth in circles, right? We talked about one thing, then we talked about another, and then we went back to the other thing. Now we're going back to that other other thing, the star position. There was a discussion in the group about um, the star position and whether or not Andre Sisco would be a good fit. Now, remember, I went through the linebackers. You could also look at safeties that have the ability to play in that position. Generally, depending on what we're talking about, we're talking about linebackers that can cover. You might also be able to find safeties that are kind of those hybrid safety linebacker type guys. Um, again, just going off PFF, no. But the problem with Andre Sisco and PFF is that they just don't like him in general. His run defense grade is putrid. He's, he's had decent stints in coverage, but that's all it is. Um, if you just throw out 2020 because he played two games, you've got 2018, which he had a 90 overall grade, then 20, uh, 2018, 90 overall grade, 2019, 61. He's never been good against the run, putrid tackler, and he's only rushed the passer twice. So you got a guy that can maybe cover, maybe, but terrible against the run and doesn't have any pass rush experience. To answer your question from my vantage point, absolutely not. I mean, he has experience moving to different spots. Um, if you look at his alignments, 961 times at uh, safety, 329 times in the slot, 310 in the box. But just based on skill set, again, from what I'm looking at, I, I don't, I don't really see it. But it is something we can look at possibly tomorrow. I don't know. But again, um, we're going to leave it there. If you want Sunday to be a thing, it's going to be, again, a Patreon Sunday. So uh, patrons, be sure to get in there. Ask any questions. If you Ask them if you got them, and we'll do another show. If not, then I will talk to you Monday. Folks, have a great day, and I'll talk to you tomorrow or Monday, I guess. Bye-bye. <laughs>